This week's parsha is Parsha's Nayach. At the beginning of the parsha, the Torah tells us the godless of Nayach and describes Nayach as being an ish tzaddik, tamim haya b'dayreisav. He was a tzaddik, a righteous man, and he was tamim. He was pure. He was perfect in his generations, in the plural. He walked with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Nayach is a righteous man. He's a perfect individual who walked together with the Rabbi Shalom. What is the difference between a tzaddik and a tamim? They seem sort of the same. If I describe somebody as, oh, this person's a tzaddik, L'chaira, that's the same as describing him as a Tamim. It's perfect. A tzaddik is a perfect individual before Hashem. A Tamim is a perfect individual before Hashem. What exactly is the difference between a tzaddik and a Tamim? So the Gemara in Avedezara and Davavam and Aleph discusses this. And the Gemara says, Tamim bidrachav. Tzadik b'maisov. Nayach was a tamim in his ways, and he was a tzadik in his actions. Which needs interpretation. That also seems pretty much the same. So of course we turn to Rashi as we always do, and Rashi explains tamim b'drachav. Nayach was a perfect individual in his ways. Anav u'shvaruach. He was a humble man. He had a low self-esteem, not in a, in a negative way, but he was a shalruach. He was lowly spirited. He was not somebody that was arrogant. He was not somebody that was out there and very loud and in your face. He was quiet. He was subdued. He was humble. That's what a tamim is. A tzaddik b'maisav means... Rashi says, Beloy Chamas. He had no corruption. A tzaddik is somebody that is not doing the wrong thing. He's not a dishonest person. He's not somebody that does financial wrong. He's not a person that has ethical issues, that's challenged morally. Beloy Chamas. There was no corruption in the actions and the deeds of Nayach. So now uh, a picture is developing that's a little clearer about who Nayach was. Nayach was a tzaddik and he was a tamim. He was a tzaddik in that his actions were perfect. He did not have any corruption. There was nothing wrong with what he did. Everything that he did was above board. Everything was, was fine and refined. And he never had any questionable dealings, financially or otherwise. And at the same time, he was a tamim bidrachov, which means that his midas were perfect. He was a person that had the right values. He was a person that was morally stable, not arrogant, not boisterous, not gregarious, not somebody that always has to show off but he was a simple, humble individual before the Rabbi Nishalim, who walked with God. Now, I understand why the Torah has to be margish, has to be madgish. The fact about that Nayak was a tzaddik, as Rashi says, B'lai Hamas. That's important for us to know because that explains why Nayak was saved during the Daramabal. The Daramabal was Kimala Ha'aretz Chamas Mepneim. The entire world was full of Chamas. It was a corrupt, decadent society. People were involved in robbery. People were involved in thievery. People were doing all types of terrible moral activities, immoral activities. And so Nayak was bucking the trend. Nayak was somebody that was able to be a tzaddik below Hamas. And so that's very vital for the Torah to explain this 
amazing ability of Nayak to be clean-handed. He didn't have any corruption because that explains why HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw him as being different from the rest of his dar. But what does it mean that he was a Tamim, that he didn't have Gaiva? I don't know any Medrashim, perhaps you do, but I'm not familiar with any Medrashim that said that the dar of the Mabo was one that was full of Gaiva. They were full of corruption, but not Gaiva. Why does the Torah have to be Madish that he was a Tamim, which means Tamim Bidracha Beloi, that he was an Anabushval Ruach? How does that play into the description that we know about Nayak and that we need to know about Nayak? And I saw from the Maral Diskin a beautiful pshat. I'm a little bit borrowing some of the things that he says and some of the things I am incorporating from my own ideas. But basically what he says is that when it says sav in the plural, Nayak chronologically lived in two generations. Not only did he live in the Dar HaMabal at the beginning of the parsha, but he also lived as well in the Dar HaFlaga towards the end of the parsha. Nayak was a tzaddik and a tamim, b'dayra isav, the Pasuk says. And that explains a little bit more why we have to describe him as a tzaddik and a tamim, because we are describing the relationship or the lack of relationship that he had with the two generations in which he was placed. During the Dar Hamabal, he was a tzaddik. When everybody in the world was full of Hamas, when everybody was doing immoral and illegal activities, corrupt, Nayak was a tzaddik below Hamas. He was pure. He was clean. The whole world was corrupt and he was doing the right thing at the right time. When it says that he was a Tamim Bidrachov, that's not talking about the Dar Hamabal. That's the other Dar that he found himself in, the Dar Haflaga. The Dar Haflaga was a Dar that was not marked by Hamas. They weren't corrupt. They may have been very nice moral people. The problem with the Dar Haflaga was that they suffered from hubris. They suffered from intense gaiva. Look at the psukim at that part of the parasha. What do they say this star? Let's build for ourselves a city, umigdal and a tower. We'll build for ourselves a skyscraper that goes all the way up to Shamayim. Lanu shame, and we'll make for ourselves a name. We'll put our names on the buildings. We'll have gaiva. We'll be full of haughtiness. Hava nivne lanu ear. Let's build skyscrapers. Let's challenge God Himself. Let's make ourselves on equal footing with God and fight Him. Kaviyachol. Could you imagine the gaiva of people thinking that they could build a tower high enough to even get close to the Rabbinic Shleilam? Malay Kalaritz Kavaydai, the Ain Saif, and a human being could build a tower that could do war, that could do Melchama against the Rabbinic Shleilam? Only a very sick minded individual with a warped self esteem with a warped sense of how great he is, how godly he might be, could think in such terms. Nayak in that generation was a Tamim. When the entire generation was cursed with Gaiva, was inundated by this hubris, by this feeling that they are greater than God himself, comes along Nayak and he bucked that trend as well. He says, no, I'm going to be a Tomim Bidrachav, I'm going to be a Shval Ruach, I'm going to be an Anav. This was the amazing ability of Nayak. If we're looking for why Nayak was the one individual that the Rabbi Nishlam felt was worthy to be spared of the Mabal, it's because he was an individual. He was independent. He was able to fight against the society around him. And when the society around him was bankrupt morally, 
he was the one last man standing that decided he was going to be B'loi Hamas. The entire world is full of Hamas. Could you imagine the temptation of just following suit? I remember when I was in high school, when I was in college, and, and there were people that got the test. They got the copies of the test. I also went to a school that had a Messiah. So there, you know, everybody, was, everybody has all the answers for the test. And they say, Bamberger, you want the copy? You want the, you want the answer sheet? Everybody's doing it. Everybody's going to get 100. What do you do? Do you take it or do you not take it? You could justify every which way to take the answers. Because why should I lose out? Everybody else is going to get 100. Why should I? Why shouldn't I? That's the obvious thing to do. And I'm not going to tell you what I actually did. But imagine if there was an individual that said, no, that's not the right thing to do. Let the entire class cheat on the test. Let everybody get 100 and I might fail, but that's okay because at least I know who I am. I'm B'loi Hamas. Let the entire world cheat on their income taxes and get away with murder. But I know that I have to do the right thing. Let everybody sell substandard products and shoddy products and I'm going to not sell them. I'm going to do the right thing and only sell merchandise which is above board, which is proper. That is a very strong individual. It takes a gibar to be kaibish the Yitzhahara, to go with the flow. Everybody's doing it. Why shouldn't I do it? Everybody. Everybody's doing things that are immoral, things that are corrupt, things that are cheating, things that are completely wrong. If everybody's doing it, it must be okay. Well, I, I, should, I should be, you know, hamstrung when everybody else is able to get away with murder. I shouldn't follow suit. Nayak was that one rare individual that was able to say, I must be true to myself. I don't care if the whole world is corrupt. I don't care if the whole world is doing things that are wrong. I have to be who I am. I have to be true to myself. I have to be true to the Rabbi Shalom because that's the right thing to do. Nobody might know about it. I might not get any trophies for this. But this is what my moral compass is telling me to do and I have to listen. It's the hardest thing in the world to go against the masses of people that are doing something wrong. But I'm going to be the one that does that. That's Nayak. Nayak during the time of the Mabel, during the Dara Mabel, was the Tzaddik. He was below Hamas. He was clean of Hamas even though everybody else was morally bankrupt. He was able to maintain who he was. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu loved that. And later on in his life, when he found himself once again in a very, very decadent, bad dar, not decadent in terms of Hamas, but decadent in terms of Kfira, in terms of Minas, in terms of the ability to believe that you are God, the gaiva of that a human being can sometimes allow himself to feel when he doesn't want to believe in the Rabbeinu Shalom, and that, that's also very intoxicating. Everybody's feeling gaiva. Everybody's making money. Everybody is successful. And you want to flex your muscles of success. You want to flaunt what you have. You want to show how great you are. You want to brag about all of your accomplishments. Nayak says, no, no, no. He was an honor of when the entire world was Gaivadik. Nayak was again true to his own self and says, There's a Rabbi Nishlam in the world and I have to be an honor of This was the duo Maila that the Torah addresses when speaking about Nayak that Nayak was both a tzaddik and a tamim, depending on the dar that he found himself in. He was belay chamas, when everybody was full of chamas, and he was an anavu shvaruach, when everyone was full of gaiva. That was the beauty of Nayak. Nayak was strong and true to himself, and to the Rabbani Shalom with whom he walked.
How does a person do this? How is a person able to be a tzaddik like this? To be a tummim like this? To go against the trend? To go against what everybody else is doing when they're doing something wrong? How do you do that? So we have to go to the very first Ramah and Shulchan Aruch to find the answer. The very first Ramah and Shulchan Aruch. You know, the Mechaber says at the beginning of Shulchan Aruch, it's important always to know the first things at least. You have to know the basics. How does Shach start? How does Shulchan Aruch start? Shulchan Aruch starts that the Mechaber says that a person should be Meskaber Kari. A person should be strong like a lion when it comes to getting up in the morning to do the Abayda Sabayri. There's a very interesting story about Rebelia Lapian, the famous Mashkiach, who, when he was already in his 90s, when most people start sleeping late and going to a later minion, Rebelia Lapian said to the Heifbacher, to the Bacher that took care of him in his apartment, I want you to wake me up earlier to go to Minyan, not later. He says, why should the Mashkiach wake up earlier? You're already in your 90s. Wake up later. There's no rush. You woke up earlier your entire life. Now you want to wake up earlier? So, Rebellia, in a classic way, answered, he says, yeah, I have to wake up earlier. He says, in Shemayim, once I die, they're going to give me a faher. They're going to test me in Shemayim. What are the questions on the test going to be? You want we speak about getting the answers to the to a test? What are the what are the questions going to be in Shemayim? What are the give me the? He says, you know what the questions are going to be? Very easy. They're going to open up a Shulchan Aruch, and they're going to start from the first from Simon Aleph Sif Aleph, and they're going to say, did you do it or did you not do it? Now they're going to give you a check if you did or an X if you didn't do. Let's go to Sif Beis. Let's go to Sif Gimel. That's the test. So he says, listen, he says, I don't know if I was Mekayim all the mitzvahs properly. I don't know how I'm going to fare deep down in Shulchan Aruch. He says, but I want to at least get the first question right. If I'm going to go up to Shulchan he says, I'm a lot closer to that test than you are. He looks at this teenage bacher that he was talking to. He says, you don't have to worry about this maybe so much yet. He says, but I want at least, I'm going to get, you know, sometimes... When the teacher is marking a test, so a lot of times they sort of go through a very, they don't read every single word, but if they see that the guy gets the first question right, so, you know, we already assume that a lot of the other questions are going to be right. He says, I'm hoping that maybe if I get the right question right, the first question right, maybe there'll be a little bit more mekel on the rest of the questions. What is the machab? That's what the machaba writes at the beginning of Shulchan because it's talking about waking up in the morning. And doing the Avedis What does the Ramah say? The Ramah right away jumps in on that Mechaber and says something that is sort of related, but it's more Musardik than, than Halachadik. The Ramah says, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. You have to place HaKadosh Baruch Hu in front of your eyes at all times. This is a great rule of the Torah, and in the great advantages, the great abilities of Tzadikim, who walk before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Who does that sound like? To me it sounds like Nayach. Asher Hochem Nayach. And in fact, the Bir Hagra in Shulchan Aruch, who quotes all like the different Maramakaimis, he finds all of the Maramakaimis throughout Kalatar Kula, Kedarkai. He shelts the Gra right away says on that Ramah. He says, you know what the Makar for the Ramah is when he speaks about it? Sadik, that's Holochnelikim, Kimashekosov, like the Torah says, Ish Sadik Tamim Esalikim Isalik Nayach. And then the Ramah says, he says the Abbas are also walking with the Rabbi Nishayam, and then the Ramah adds one word to the words of the Ramah, the Gra adds one word to the words of the Ramah, 
where the Ramah says, that this is a great cloud gadol, batera, and the milos hatzadikim zok the gra dezeru kol milos hatzadikim. Kol. What does that mean? Kol. That means that this is the one way, the only way to be a tzaddik. You want to know how to be a tzaddik? There's one thing that you have to do right. That's the entire difference between a tzaddik and a non-tzaddik. If you want to be a tzaddik, that doesn't mean that you have to be a perfect individual. It doesn't mean that you have to get every question on the test right. The mile of a tzaddik, the entire mile of a tzaddik, is the fact that a tzaddik is somebody that's He has God with him at every moment of his life. There's not a moment that he can be Messiah Das from the fact that there's a Rabbi Shalom around. A lot of us permit ourselves to imagine, maybe temporarily, maybe longer than temporarily, that there's no God. I'm a believer, I'm a Maimon. Of course, we're all Maiminim. But there are Maiminim and there are Maiminim. There are people that believe in God, but conveniently... When it's convenient for them, suddenly they put God out of their minds. You have a taiva to do something. You want to speak Lashonara, but there's a God. How do you speak Lashonara? The answer is that temporarily I want to put like uh, my blindfolds on and pretend that there's no God. I want to watch something that I'm not allowed to watch. I want to listen to something that I'm not allowed to listen to. I want to go to a place that's inappropriate for me to go to. I want to hang out with friends that are not the right crowd for me to be in. How do I do that? There's a God in the world. The answer is that I temporarily permit myself to believe perhaps that there's no God. Or maybe I'm specific whether there's a God or there's, a, or there's no God. And that permits me to do what I want when it's convenient for me. A tzaddik would not do that. A tzaddik is not a perfect person, but a tzaddik never permits himself for a moment to forget to be Messiah Das that there's a Rabbi Shalom in front of him. They always walk with God, whatever they are, wherever they are. If they're in the base medrash, here's God with me. Rav Shach once found some guys in Panovich in the halls outside of the base medrash. And so he goes over to them, you know, they were just schmoozing, or they were drinking coffee, or they were smoking, whatever they were doing. And Rav Shach goes over to one of them and says, go back in the base medrash, your chavrusa is waiting for you. He says, I don't know if the Rashi remembers, I spoke to you a few weeks ago, I don't have a Chavrusa this month. So what do you mean, your Chavrusa? He says, I'm not talking about a physical Chavrusa. He says, the Rabbani Shalom is a Chavrusa. The Rabbani Shalom is waiting for you in the base Madrash. There's a God in the base Madrash. There's a God in our dorm rooms. There's a God in office buildings. There's a God in the store, on the street. Wherever we go, the Rabbani Shalom is there. But sometimes we remember that and sometimes we forget that. The great Rabbi Shalom of Albi, the Ali Shur, once went to Rabbi Chatzko Levenstein. Now, you know, to go to Rabbi Chatzko, Rabbi Chatzko was the Tzadik Hadar, the Mashkiach of the Dar. And Rabbi, I guess Rabbi Albi must have been much younger maybe. And he went to him to visit him when he was very old. And he asked on his way out, after they schmoozed for a while, what should I be mashpiah on the Talmidim in my yeshiva? The Revolvi was the mashpiah in the yeshiva called Ber Yaakov. What should I be mashpiah? What should I tell? Give me like a good Musa schmooze, a good Dahara that I can share with them. He says, okay, go to the base Madrash, give a clock on the Bima, and tell the Bachram there's a God in the world. That's a strange thing that Reb Chatzko was telling Revolbi to share with his yeshiva. He wasn't saying, you know, tell him some, some Kabbalah, tell him some, uh, you know, something uh, very good daher in Musa, or good, uh, good lamdis. He was saying something so simple. Remind the Bachim in yeshiva that there's a God in the world. I mean, he's, we're not talking to, to Kaifrim. He's not saying to go to Tel Aviv, to Rehob, Dizengarp, and, and say there's a God in the world. Go to a base medrash. 
base medrash of guys that are learning day and night and tell them that there's a God. That's important. Because we might be learning Torah day and night, but sometimes we could forget that there's a God. But if we were tzaddikim, we would never forget that there's a God. Wherever we go, we're constantly cognizant of the fact that there's a God in the world. This is the This is the entire. You want to be a tzaddik? You don't have to cross old ladies across the street. You don't have to go and sing in nursing homes. You don't have to face finish us. All you have to do is make sure to remember Shivisi Hashem Lenegi Summit. That's the entire mile of a tzaddik. A tzaddik is somebody who lives with the Rabbi Shalom right in front of his face at all times. And the Ramah continues. The Ramah says that because it's, it's totally a different life if you know that somebody's watching you, if a melech is watching you, if you know that there's a video camera on you, you're going to act differently than if you think that nobody's watching you. And the Ramah continues and he ends that paragraph right at the beginning of Shulchan Aruch by telling us that a person is not supposed to get his feathers ruffled when there are people that are making fun of him. When you're davening the right way and somebody says, oh, you're so from, you're davening the right way, oh... Don't get rattled. Don't get shaken. Don't get stirred by that. When you're a big masman, it's, oh, oh, he's so mazzy, he's so from. Don't let people rattle you. Don't let people get you all nervous. Don't be embarrassed by people that are taunting you. Do the right thing. Be true to yourself because there's a Rabbeinu Shalom here that's going to protect you. That's also Nayach. Look at what Nayach had to endure for 120 years. Chazal tell us that people around him were making fun of him. Imagine getting abused and tormented and embarrassed 120 years. Oh, there's going to be a mabel. Tzadik. You're building a teva. Teva is for nothing. There's not going to be a mabel. You're crazy. You're a nut. What are you doing? And Nayak had to continue with his Abayda 120 years strong. He didn't get embarrassed by anybody. Nothing was able to shake his resolve because he knew that there's a Rabbani Shalom. No, he lived with a Rabbani Shalom. Somebody showed me a, a biography that was just recently published about Rabbi Victor Miller. Rabbi Victor Miller was a tzaddik. There's no question. I think in our dar, it's safe to say that, I mean, you know, in our recent diaries, one of the great tzaddikim was Rav Victor Miller. And he lived with a Rabbi Nishlam. Whatever he, whatever he did, he was constantly aware that there was a Rabbi Nishlam in the world. You know, I think he used to go into chasnas. He used to always wear his, his like, coat over his arm. Even by his own grandchildren's chasna, I heard, he would come into the chasna, he would dance a little bit with his coat, over his arm, and then he would leave. And they said to him, Zaydi, you know, where are you running? It's your daughter, granddaughter's chasna. He says, I have to prepare for a bechina. When do you have to prepare for a bechina? What bechina? Who's testing you? You're going to the DMV? Like, what, who's? He says, I'm a, I don't know when I'm going to die. He says, I want to be prepared when I go up to the LMS that I'm going to know shas cold. And he would mamish live his whole life he said, I don't, I don't have two hours, four hours to waste at a chasna. I'm going to go, I'm going to dance, and then go back to my Gemara. He lived with a constant emuna that there's a Rabbi Shalom. He says an amazing thing. For one to attain any level of Yira, he has to first believe that there is a real Hashem. Hashem is such an incomprehensible reality that it is po- possible to fulfill the entire Shulchan Aruch as a pious Jew and yet not have any Yerushalayim. To many people, Hashem exists only as a word in the Siddur. I love that line. What's Hashem? Hashem is a word in the Siddur. Yudke, Babke, those are words in the Siddur. That's where He exists. He's in the, inside the Siddur. That's where God exists. Does He exist in my life? I don't know. 
to Rabbi Victor Miller, everything was real. The fact that the Rabbi Shalom is in existence in the world, he made tangible. That was the tactless of Victor Miller's life. He used to say outside, Pefeirish, to other people, even though it's like something that we would be embarrassed to do, he would, if he's giving a shear, he'd say, I love you, Hashem. I love you, Hashem. That's like something that like, most of us would like bristle to say. That's such a, you know, it's such a funny thing to say. But he really believed it. He was once at a simcha and he said, I love you, Hashem. And he says, you know what? Did anyone ever say that in their life? Did anyone ever tell the Rabbi Hashem, I love you? And people were looking at him, no. He says, let's all say it together. I love you, Hashem. I love you, Hashem. And he saw there were some chassidim that weren't saying it with him. And afterwards, he walked over. He says, why weren't you saying it with me? He says, they said, because we felt uncomfortable saying it in English. So he said, so say it in Yiddish. Say it in whatever language you know, but say it. The more you can say to the Rabbi I love you directly, and, pre- and not pretend, but allow HaKadosh Baruch Hu into your life in a real way, that's the degree by which you will attain real Yira. Yira Shemayim comes from really believing, not just, you know, preaching about it and saying it, you know, in, in an intellectual way, but really feeling it honestly. That there's a God in the world and the God is near me, He's here. Something very hard for a human being to comprehend, the Mesosisharm says, because he's not, we don't see him, he's invisible. But just because he's invisible does not mean that he's not here. And we have to, in our lives, try to attain that yira that really allows us to be marriage, to feel in a tangible way that the Rabbi Shalom exists. He says an amazing thing. He would describe the fear of Hashem as akin to a car driver who suddenly becomes aware that a police car is behind him. You ever have that reality? You look in the rear view mirror driving and you're speeding maybe, you're looking at your phone or whatever, and, and all of a sudden you look in the rear view mirror and there's a cop right behind you. I once I had this recently at a chasna. I was going to a chasna in Williamsburg to a Terzabram and and um, I don't know, I was very surprised. I was late, I was supposed to be there for the chuppah, and I was running very late, and there was traffic, and, and, and it's very hard to get a spot in Williamsburg. If you ever tried to find a spot in that, you know, I don't think there was a valet. Anyway, so I was on the corner of Ross and, um, what's the street that uh, Bedford is? I don't know, whatever it is. And I, there was a red light, and I saw a guy getting out of a spot, right there on the corner, on the, on the cross street. And there was a red light. I knew there was a red light. But I was so, like, focused on getting that stop before somebody else did that I went mamish through a red light. I made an illegal left turn. And I didn't do a lahakas. I just did it. I just, it was a pure, I, mean, I was like, it was, it was mamish misasik. Like, I wasn't even conscious of the fact, but who was behind me but a cop? And all of a sudden, you know, boop, boop, you know, the, they, they put the sirens on for a second and they, and they pull alongside. This, was, this is a major ticket. I mean, this is mamish, this is points, the tickets, the money. And these two female African-American cops, you know, they roll down the window and they, uh, and they like, you know, it wasn't even close. Like, it wasn't something that, you know, you could, you could even fight. It's like they call me red-handed. I mean, there's no, you know, just lock me up. And they deserve, I deserved it. I mean, I went right through a red light in front of a cop. I mean, how stupid could you be? But I didn't know, but, and I was so scared all of a sudden. I saw these cops behind me. I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. For this chasna, like, what, who cares if you came late, you came early? Just, why'd you have to do this? What, what are you so, you're so fablundered? So, they said, do you know what you just did? You just went through a red light. Right in front of us, I said, you know something, you're right. I said, I'm crazy. That's what I said. I don't even know why. I said, I'm mama. Now, they should have locked me up for insanity also. 
So I said, I don't know why I did that. I'm almost crazy. And they said, okay. And they just sped away. <laughs> they took my insanity plea. They, they accepted it. But, but the, 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 that feeling... That feeling of knowing that there's a cap behind you. You know what the path that is? You're not going to look at... If you knew... If I would see the cap, I would never even dream about going through a red light or going through a stop sign or going... You know, or looking at your cell phone. You would never do it. Why? Because there's a cap. Rabbi Victor Miller says that immediately, as soon as you know there's a cop, you slow down, you make sure you're driving fully within the law... So too, when one becomes aware that a real Hashem is actually peering at him, he begins to behave as he should. You begin, you begin to be, a, you know, you're a good boy because you know that there's somebody watching you. That's what a tzaddik is. A tzaddik is somebody, I always know there's a cop behind me. I always feel that there's somebody looking at me that could at any moment charge me with major violations. Now, I don't have to be neurotic about that. That doesn't mean that I have to, you know, be constantly crazy that, oh my God, you know. But at least the minimal shear of, of Yerushalayim, according to Victor Miller, which is, of course, granted, it's a very high bar to meet. But the minimal shear of, of Yerushalayim would be being cognizant of the fact that there is an authority that's watching you. And when you have that cognizance, then your life becomes different. You wake up predominant. And you make breakfast. And you bench properly. And you're nice to people. And you're nice to your parents. And you come to Seder on time. And you leave Seder on time. And you learn with us mother. You don't battle so much. You don't speak Russian horror. And you don't watch things that you shouldn't. You don't talk in an inappropriate manner. Because there's somebody watching me. It's a high bar to meet because is invisible. But Yerushalayim means that I have to know that there's a God and constantly feel that there's a presence over me that's observing whatever I do. That's what a tzaddik is. That's when you see a tzaddik. You want to meet a tzaddik? You don't have to go to Bnei Brak. You find somebody who has this cognizance, this year on his face that there's a God in the world at all times. That's a tzaddik. And that could be you and me. It's not impossible to do this. We could all be tzaddikim. We just have to have that vision that there's a cop behind us at all times. That doesn't mean that I'm neurotic. I'm just going to not speed now. I'm just going to do the right thing. That's what a tzaddik is. This is what Nayak was. Nayak was a person who was exactly this Ramah tzaddik. He was a person that was heilich lifnei He always knew that there was a rabbi Nishim. He couldn't do something against the rabbi Nishim. Rabbi Meishe Feinstein says that the reason why the Torah says vayas noyach kechal Hashem and Rashi says, you know what vayas noyach means? Do biyosay la table. This is the fact that he came into the table. And the Mepharshim asks, what does it mean, Zubiyas Lateva? The Pasuk says that. The Pasuk says, Vayavay Nayach Lateva. He came into the table. Why does the Torah have to be Meramis for that and Vayas Nayach? And Rav Meshe says a beautiful shot. He says, look what happened. Nayach built this table with his own hands. He was Meshe Nefesh for 120 years to build the ark. He was the Balabas over this ark, wasn't he? So what does it mean? He waited for the Rabbi to give him a tzivoy to go into the table. It's my table. I don't I take orders from somebody. I built this thing. I built this table. I'm going to wait for God to give me a, a, a green light to enter it? Yes. Because Nayach felt that he wasn't a Balabas. He didn't feel so comfortable in doing what he wants, when he wants it. Nayach was a person that had this Yerushalayim he understood that I only go into the table when the Rabbi Shalom tells me I can go in. He only left the table. Even after he determined that there was dry land outside, he could have gone out. Okay, dry land, let's go out. Everybody out. Only once HaKadosh Baruch was mitzvah him to leave the table, did he leave the table. He wasn't about a bus over his own destiny. He needed the Shulchan Aruch, and I think that's why the Ramah starts the Shulchan Aruch with this Shibi session, because this is what 
makes a person a real from yet, not keeping the Shulchan Aruch, but keeping the Shulchan Aruch, not because this is the law, but keeping the Shulchan Aruch because this is what the Rabbi Nishlam wants me to do. You know, Hasidim used to say that, you know, Litvaks, they dive, Hasidim dive into the Rabbi Nishlam and Litvaks dive into the clock. That's what Hasidim say. What does that mean? Litvaks are always, Litvish people are always, oh, there's going to be, you know, we're missing Shkia, we're missing, uh, you know, Saif Sman Kriyashma, Saif Sman Filo. Hasidim are less worried about that. They, are, they might dive in a little later, they have their, they have their Cheshman, whatever their Cheshman is. But they're, according to them, at least, they're davening to the Rabbi We're davening to a clock. And there's truth to that. We have to remember there's a Rabbi We're not davening to a, to a, to a Shulchan Aruch. We're not davening to a legal manifesto. We're davening to God. And as much as halacha is important, of course, every diktuk in halacha is, is vital. But never don't see the forest from the trees. I'm so busy with the dikduke halacha that I forget who I'm doing this for. Nayak never forgot. Nayak always remembered whatever he did, he was doing it for the revenge. He was a tzaddik. He couldn't do chamas. Not because he was so from. He couldn't do chamas because the Rabbani Shalom forbade him from doing chamas during the Dharamabal. The Rabbani Shalom forbade him from being a Baldaiva. You can't be a Baldaiva if you believe that there's a Rabbani Shalom. How do, I'm great. What do I have? What my 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 kaifas, my brilliance, the Rabbi Nishlam gave it to me. My wealth, the Rabbi Nishlam gave it to me. My power, the Rabbi Nishlam gave it to me. My looks, the Rabbi Nishlam gave it to me. What do I have to be gaivadik about? There's no room for gaiva in the life of a believer. Now, I'd like to segue to the the promoted topic of the shmuz. For those of you that are wondering, do we, were we just hoodwinked to get into the shmuz because of that um, on the on the uh, video board or whatever you call that thing? On the video board, this is called the election special shmuz, and a lot of people were very excited about the shmuz. People came over; they said they're really excited about this shmuz. We want to hear about what you have to say about this election. I can tell you one thing about this election. It's a very, very scary, scary time to live in. I've lived through several presidential elections, more than you have. And there was always, there's always, you know, a lot of sikhsuk, there's always a lot of friction and tension, and, you know, it's always the most important election of our lifetimes. They always build it like that. But there were always people that you could like and you could respect and you could see as being the Nasi, the, the president, the, the leader of the country. Whatever you want to say about the politics, whether you like their, their politics, whether it adheres to all of the, the Tyra's laws, Abortion, not abortion, you know, uh, women's right, uh, uh, you know, taxes, how they're going to treat Eretz Israel, what their opinion about the Palestinians. All these are very, very interesting discussions. But there was always the ability to see like a goodness in the candidates. You know, Barack Obama, you know, you might not agree with his policies, but... He's a mensch. He's a human being who is a, he's a... I think he's a fine person. I do. Mitt Romney, also, he's a fine gentleman. He's a, you know, he's a gentleman. He looks fine. He speaks fine. He's a mensch. Privately, I don't know what any one of these people do, but, but at least as a, as a face of a nation, these are people that are, are, are respectable people. In this election, unfortunately, and it's not just me that's saying this, I think everybody in the country is saying this, you have no choice. There's no choice. If I were to go into the ballot box, I push it would physically not be able to pull the lever for either of them. I just read an article how there's something called, in this, in this now, Election stress disorder. 
people are so stressed out about this election that they can't eat, they can't sleep, they can't be productive at work. They're so nervous. My wife showed me she got like an email, you know, they always have like these cute lines, quotes, whatever, on, and it says, the per- this is the quote, I had a nightmare that somebody won the election. <laughs> it's a nightmare. You know, you don't, want, you don't, you don't know who should win. You, sh- you wish that both of them would lose somehow. Because this is neither of them are acceptable in any which way. The tone of their, uh, of their rhetoric and their, just their whole being is so, there's no words for it. It's so sad that our nation has to make such a, a, a choice. Politics aside, I'm not talking politics. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, I think we can both, we can all agree that, that neither candidate are respectable people to lead the nation. And it's very sad. So you might say, well, who cares? It doesn't make a difference in my personal life. But what are you getting so worked up about? You know, it doesn't matter. My taxes are going to be read. You know, I don't pay taxes anyway. It doesn't matter. I'm so young. By the time I, you know, by the time I'm earning money, it's probably going to be a different president. And, you know, Eric Sestrella. There's a Misa that they say over about a rub that came to Shimon Schwab. This is going back to 1992. 1992 was an election cycle that was President Bush Sr., the first President Bush, 41. He was running for re-election. And he was running against Bill Clinton, who, of course, won. He unseated which is very rare to unseat a sitting president. And at that time already it was known that Bill Clinton was not exactly the poster boy for morality. So already there were scandals, people knew about him already back then, before he was elected. And they asked Rav Schwab, who should we vote for? L'chaira, this Rav said to Rav Schwab, we should vote for Bill Clinton. Because Bush, at the time, was very strict when it came to Eretz Yisrael. At that time, he had advisors that were not really Ayave Yisrael, and they were really, you know, twisting the Prime Minister of Israel's arm at the time, and uh, they were denying loan guarantees. The whole story doesn't matter, but anyway, they were, there was a lot of talk that, that George Bush Sr. was not so great for Eretz Yisrael. And let's try Bill Clinton. He was a person that claimed very much that he loved Eretz Yisrael and he was very close to Jews, and he, and he was. So L'chair, we should vote for Bush. We should vote for Clinton because he's going to be better for Israel. Rav Schwab says like this, Our responsibility is not to take care of Eretz Yisrael or any Jewish cause since the Rebbeinu Shalom decides what route a ruler will take. As the Pasuk says, Hashem. The heart of a ruler is B'yad Hashem. As soon as you get into the Oval Office, you lose your Bechira. You don't have any more the ability to make a decision. The Rabbi Shalom sort of now uses you as a puppet for what he wants. You lose your, your rational way of thinking. HaKadosh Baruch will use whatever person is in the White House to do what he wants. Not, the, not what the president himself campaigned for and, and promised and this and that. It's all irrelevant. It's all laid malachim esarim biyad Hashem. And as history has shown us again and again, rulers often surprise those closest to them with the decisions they make. Their hearts are in Hashem's hand. And Rishwab continues, our immediate responsibility as terror Jews is to see to it that the world's moral climate isn't further weakened, that we are helping protect Kedusha. On a practical level, explained to Schwab, it meant voting for the incumbent Bush, since Clinton had a reputation for dubious morality. In time, the prescience of, the prescience of Schwab's words would be proven. Not only did President Clinton personally engage in immoral conduct, but he ushered an unprecedented trend of immorality into the American consciousness and daily headlines. And it's true. 
when President Clinton became president and he was caught with scandals in the Oval Office, it not only painted him, but the entire country was painted. The entire country was engaging in conversation on public radio channels that were completely unacceptable, talking about the most lewdest topics imaginable to a regular audience, allowing people to assume that this is the new normal, that morality could be sunk into the lowest levels, even by the greatest leaders. And it trickled down to the entire country. Everybody in the country's morality was affected adversely. And this is proven, I don't want to get into specifics, but it's proven that the morality level of the country sunk precipitously when he was in office and beyond. And Rav Schwab tells us a very important say when it comes to voting. Don't worry about Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is going to be fine. The Rebbein is going to take care of Eretz That's not our job. Our job is to try to maintain the Kedusha as best we can. As best we can. And to vote for somebody that has a high moral standing. Because if they have a high moral standing, that will set the tone for the nation. I remember personally when I was a little boy, President Ronald Reagan was the president. Here was a fine individual. Not saying it was a Ma'al Hashem Tzavakis, but he was a fine individual. He was respected. He was respectable. He was noble. He was clever. He was wise. He was charismatic. He was nationalistic. He, was, he brought to this nation a certain sense of honor and pride that it lacked before him, during the president before him. When a president acts in a respectable way, that trickles down to society, to every single corner of this country and the world. And the opposite is true also. My analogy to the choice that we have in this presidential election is the is what we've been speaking about up until this point of the two generations that Nayak was in. Nayak was in the Dara Mabo and Nayak was in the Dara Flogo. The Dara Mabo was a Dara of corruption, of dishonesty. The Dara Flogo was one of Gaiva, hubris, vile talk of how great a person is, building skyscrapers with their names on it. This is the choice that we have before us. We have a, on one candidate a Daramabo and on one candidate a Daraflogo. We have corruption on one hand and we have Gaiva on the other hand. And I don't know which is worse. And I'm not going to vote personally. Because I Pasha can't be responsible for either. Can't vote for a Daramabal over a Daraflog or for a Daraflog over a Daramabal. Let the Rabbi Nishalom vote. The Rabbi Nishalom can pass in who's going to be the president. And hopefully it'll turn out well for our Yisrael, and hopefully it'll bring prosperity to the land. But as far as as a as a as a person that wants to have Kedusha in his life it's very hard to actively vote for either of them. And that sounds like a cop-out, maybe it is, but that's, that's personally the only thing I could do. Or write myself in as a candidate. Which wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> if anyone of you wants to write me in as a candidate, you could do that also. But what's our eight? So when I say somebody's going to get elected, the nightmare will end on Tuesday, hopefully. And somebody will be, on Wednesday morning, somebody will be the next president-elect. So what can we do when we're faced with such a choice, when we're faced with either of these people becoming the next president, the most frightening thing in the world, that either of them will be the next president? What can we do? The one thing that we could do is try to be a little bit more like Nayak. We have to be a tzaddik and we have to be a tamim. We have to try to work internally in ourselves, in our families, in our yeshiva, in our communities, in our lives to bring 
as much sitkus against Hamas, to bring as much tamimus against gaiva, to build for ourselves a teva. A lot of the Mepharshim make the analogy between a teva and a yeshiva. If you look in the Argadal Yalu, speaks about a teva in the context of a yeshiva being that teva. If you look in the in the Pachet Yitzchak, he speaks about a teva being a yeshiva and many others saw in Akadashim. This yeshiva that we're in, this is a teva. When there are waters that are sweeping away morality around us, when there's so much schmutz out there, there's so much decadence, there's so much immorality, there's so much dishonesty. And it's all so out there now. You know, the, all the emails that are coming to light about what really people are saying, what really people are thinking, how really manipulative people are. It's a pachad. You see it? It's all, it's all there's no hidden, there's no, there's no even make-believe world that these are fine, upstanding people. And when you're faced with such a world, how do you bring children into this world? How do you raise children in such a world? How do you raise yourself in this world? It's very hard. But the one important thing in this very formative time in your lives is to make sure to find yourself entrenched in our teva, in our yeshiva. To learn here with a geshmach, not just gemara, but to learn musr, to really understand how to be a tzaddik, how to believe in the rabbi how to make the rabbi not just a word in the siddur, but a reality. How to be able to have been Adam Lachadeir that we've spoken about so much already this year. How to care about other people, Nasa Adam, building up other people, making other people feel good about themselves while at the same time we keep ourselves in check, our gaiva, our conduct, our moral fi- fiber. This is what Nayak did. Nayak was a tzaddik. He walked with Nayashem. He believed in the Rabbi Nisham really. Not just lip service, and not just faking. He really honestly believed in the Rabbi Nisham, and that enabled him to escape the dairis of the Mabel and Hafwaga. That's the only eight that we have. When somebody does win the presidency, whoever it may be, and we wish them lots of luck, and at the end of the day, it's a Malcha Shochesed, and the Rabbi Nisham will continue, hopefully, to shine his bracha on this nation, and to taka take over the hearts of whoever is elected and make them do the right thing. But we have to internally be able to strengthen ourselves in our tzidkos and our tzmimos. Whether the hashpa, the trickle-down effect, is going to be one of corruption and immorality, whether it's going to be one of gaiva and boasting, and deceiving. We have to stay true to ourselves, stay true to the Rabbi Nishayim. And we have to daven l'shleim Shel malchus, that the malchus should continue being good to us as Jews, our, we're loyal citizens to this malchus, and we're, we've enjoyed great benefits from living in America. And America has, in turn, enjoyed great benefits of having us here. And we don't take that for granted, not for a minute. But at the same time, we have to understand what we're up against. And we have to understand that we're living in very difficult times and we have to be true to ourselves. Let us strengthen our table. Let's take one another and be mechazik one another and work on whatever needs to be worked on and not permit the floods of the Mabel and the influence of the Daraflaga, the Kfira and the Minas and the Gaiva to seep into our Teva. We have to code our Teva, Bechema, over Gefes, 
and make sure that it's as watertight as possible against all of these foreign influences. And Amir Hashem, the Rabbani Hashem, should give us the bracha that we should be also tzadikim, tmimim, asher Have a good Shabbos.